This is Plant-Based Briefing, What's Wrong with Veganism, by Nico Stubler at sentientmedia.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson, and this is the Curated Content Plant-Based Podcast, where I narrate articles from experts on a variety of plant-based and vegan topics every weekday. And I can hardly believe this is episode 100 already. There's so much content out there, I'm so glad to be able to share it. Today's post is by Nico Stubler, an animal liberation activist and a scholar with an MA in animal studies from New York University. They're also working on a book called Ban Meat, a pragmatic approach for ending animal ag. Nico has also published a paper in the Journal for Critical Animal Studies called Silence Abets Violence, The Case for the Liberation Pledge. It's a fantastic paper and I'll link that in the show notes. And they were recently a guest on our Hen House podcast, where they discussed the Liberation Pledge in detail. Lots of great tips, lots of great examples on how to use it, etc. So I'll link both of those resources in the show notes. And now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. What's Wrong with Veganism? by Nico Stubler at sentientmedia.org Animal agriculture and industrial fishing are two of today's most harmful industries, and as both the global population and per capita consumption of animal-based foods continue to grow, so do their harms. In response, the animal protection movement has primarily focused on promoting passive veganism. But what if this strategy is wrong? Rather, what if passive veganism, for example silently eating vegan alongside others consuming animal-based foods, enables the very violence a vegan ethic is meant to stand against. At first, this might seem counterintuitive, especially for those of us who went vegan for ethical reasons. After all, the harms of animal agriculture and industrial fishing are caused by producing animal-based foods, and animal-based foods are produced because consumers demand them. So, shouldn't boycotting these products help to reduce rather than enable these harms? Not necessarily. Rather, arguing that passive veganism is effective on its own misunderstands the latent power of veganism. In a world where nearly 7 billion people eat meat and other animal products, one's choice to be vegan solves very little. Rather, the transformative power of being vegan lies in our ability to influence others to follow suit. And that's exactly the problem with passive veganism. Passive veganism fails to galvanize social change. Let's put this claim into perspective. Despite the movement's overwhelming focus on promoting passive veganism over the past two decades, the percentage of vegetarians and vegans in the United States has remained relatively constant. Some advocates might respond by saying we simply haven't promoted passive veganism enough, but I argue that our problem is promoting passive veganism to begin with. The Problem with Passive Veganism To understand the problem with passive veganism, it's important to understand the root cause of animal agriculture, i.e. carnism. As first explained by Melanie Joy, carnism is the unspoken ideology that justifies eating certain animals. Whereas a vegan ethic derides the violence embedded with animal-based foods, carnism excuses it. It is thus carnism that enables animal industries to exploit billions of sentient beings every day, and it is thus carnism that must be overcome to address the harms of these industries. The question then is how to combat carnism. The answer is simpler than you would expect. Because carnism depends upon remaining unseen, effective advocacy requires shining a critical light on it. Carnism's central justification is that it's normal to eat animal-based foods, so the ideology relies on that premise being left unchallenged. 
However, as various sociologists and anthropologists have demonstrated, it is not inherently normal to eat animals, but instead a cultural habit that has been built over time. Just as carnism has been normalized, so too can it be denormalized. It will be virtually impossible to address the harms of animal agriculture and industrial fishing without doing so. Unfortunately, passive veganism does just the opposite. In short, a vegan's silent presence around carnism serves to normalize it. By silently condoning the carnism of others, passive vegans tacitly extend carnism's social license. Skeptical? Ask yourself if you would dine with someone eating a golden retriever. If you wouldn't, why not? Silence abets violence. By staying silent, passive vegans allow others to understand veganism and carnism as morally neutral personal choices, like eating gluten-free. But as any ethical vegan knows, eating animal-based foods is not a morally neutral personal choice. Our freedom of choice is constrained by the rights of others. For example, the freedom to swing one's arm ends where another's body begins. And eating animals entails flagrant violations of their rights. Despite knowing that ourselves, passive veganism fails to convey it. Instead, by permitting others to frame carnism as a personal choice, passive vegans enable carnism's continuation. Rather, given carnism's cultural hegemony, its deconstruction requires active resistance. In my journal article, Silence Abets Violence, I argue there are two morally consistent options for doing so. The first, and in my view less effective, option is to vocally condemn the carnism of those around us. While this position does actively denormalize carnism, it does so at an inopportune time. Simply put, one of the least fruitful places to discuss the immorality of another's action is while they are enacting it. For in such situations, the cognitive dissonance between another's actions and values is too deafening to fruitfully engage with it. The second, and in my view superior, option to denormalize carnism is to practice the Liberation Pledge. Essentially, the Liberation Pledge is a commitment to never eat in the presence of those consuming animal-based foods. For some, like me, this entails not eating at tables where animal-based foods are being consumed. For others, this entails not eating at establishments that serve animal-based foods. Either way, not only do pledge practitioners refuse to normalize the carnism of others, we position ourselves to have this conversation away from animal-based foods. Instead, we invite others to share vegan meals with us, the perfect space to denormalize carnism. For just as there is little hope to fruitfully critique carnism while another eats animals, there are few better opportunities to advocate veganism than over vegan food. A growing movement. Until recently, the Liberation Pledge has remained a controversial position. As such, I've grown accustomed to the critiques made by well-meaning advocates that the Liberation Pledge does more harm than good. While I take these critiques seriously and respond to them in full in this article and in this podcast episode, linked in the show notes, in the end I find them unconvincing. And I'm not alone. Every day, animal advocates around the world adopt the Liberation Pledge. Last I checked, committed advocates from 98 countries and six continents have formally taken the pledge. I'm optimistic that the pledge will soon become common amongst vegans across the globe. For while veganism is necessary, it's not sufficient. So for those of us who want to help end the harms caused by animal agriculture and industrial fishing, I invite you to take the Liberation Pledge. And for those initially skeptical of the idea, as I was, I invite you to remain open to it. 
Changing our minds is never comfortable, but we owe it to farmed animals to critically consider our activism and change it as needed. Just as I wasn't born vegan, I didn't always practice the pledge. But in time, I adopted the pledge for the same reason I went vegan. Animal agriculture is wrong, and in my view, refusing to normalize carnism is the least we can do to address it. You just listened to What's Wrong with Veganism by Nico Stubler at sentientmedia.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson, and I love this article. I love Nico's work. And as Nico mentions in their paper, Silence Abets Violence, the Case for the Liberation Pledge, the theory of change that inspired the Liberation Pledge was the successful campaign to end foot binding in China. For a thousand years, activists had struggled trying to gain any traction against this horrible practice. And it wasn't until 1890, with the initiation of a public pledge, that things changed. Families promised to, first, never bind their daughter's feet, and second, refuse to allow their sons to marry women with bound feet. That's the campaign that transformed the region from being 99% in support of foot binding to 0% in a matter of only 30 years. The movement grew exponentially and led to the societal stigmatization of the practice. I personally took the Liberation Pledge a year ago, September 2020. I had been plant-based for just over a year and vegan for just over six months. And I was starting to really struggle with the feelings I had about being around people eating animal flesh, dairy, or eggs, knowing what I knew. I was thinking there was either something wrong with me or it was just a phase of my early veganism and I would eventually, you know, get over it and be able to eat my vegan food happily alongside people eating animals. But that wasn't happening. It was getting worse. So taking the pledge was the best thing I have done for myself since going vegan, both for my mental health particularly, but also for my advocacy. I don't condone animal abuse and therefore don't condone people eating animals, and I can't be around them when they're doing it, so I'm able to state that ahead of time and make other arrangements. Like Nico says, the power of the pledge lies in the breaking of norms and in encouraging others to eat vegan. Like they say, it's about expanding the vegan table, not sitting alone at it. So I'll post links to some resources in the show notes. One will be to Nico's paper, which I highly recommend reading, Also, the Our Hen House podcast episode where Nico was a guest discussing the Liberation Pledge. And a link to liberationpledge.com, which is where you can formally take the pledge and there are other resources and frequently asked questions there. Liberationpledge.com also has information on the symbol of the pledge, the Liberation Bracelet, which is essentially a bent fork. They explain that by transforming the fork into a symbol of nonviolence, we're reclaiming the everyday tool that is most responsible for the immense suffering of animals. As Gandhi is claimed to have said, the fork arguably represents the most violent implement in society today. So wearing a bent fork bracelet is a symbol of the pledge, and it shows support for others who've taken it as well. And I realize not everyone is in a position to take the pledge in every aspect of their life. Maybe it's not feasible in their home life or some work situations. But do check out those resources and consider it. And I'd like to hear from you. Have you taken it or not taken it? Why or why not? Let me know. You can email me. You can find my email on the footer of every page at plantbasedbriefing.com. Or you can comment on the post on social media. Thanks for listening.